Hello, boxing fans, and welcome to the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, for Ring Magazine and RingTV.com. This is episode number 229 of TNC for the week of July 25th. And we got a great show, a lot to talk about. We're going to be joined by special guest Charles Conwell, undefeated junior middleweight prospect, 2016 Olympian, represented the United States in the Rio Games. Excited to have him on the show. And of course, this is our first show on the Ring Digital's YouTube channel. So for those of you who are new to the show, let me welcome you. And uh, you may re- recognize my name from my articles in Ring Magazine, ringtv.com. What we do here on the show is we like to have fun. We like to keep it cool, casual, and we're not afraid to step in it, talk about the difficult things that some other shows are afraid to. We have a guest on most weeks over the phone, and then we'll have uh, news and notes. We'll talk about all the latest happenings in the boxing world. We'll review what took place last week. We'll preview what's coming up this week. Any new fights, fight rumors, stuff like that we'll talk about but then what separates this show from the, from the rest, honestly, is the fact that we take calls from not only here in the United States, but all over the world. If you look behind me, you'll see two numbers. We have a toll-free number here in the United States, 213-267. All right, I got my phone ringing already here. Uh, that number in the United States, 213-267-7787. And in the U.K., Zero two zero eight one zero three six zero five one. So that's toll free in the UK as well. We have a toll free line here in the USA, toll free line in the UK. So we take calls from all over the world, but we have a, a big following in the UK. Before my work with Ring, I worked with Boxing Monthly Magazine. So uh, I kind of started the show on my couch five years ago, I think it was, and I'd sit on my couch and kind of answer questions you know emails i'd receive and stuff like that from uh, social media those shows were like 10 15 minutes and it's just developed over the years it's gotten bigger and better and better and uh, now i'm coming to you from atlanta georgia where if you look behind me you see this awesome studio that i built up so the show's really going places and we'd like to have a lot of fun here uh those of you let's see i got uh we have some of you on the live chat here on youtube uh, pietro's asking no super chat here Mike, uh, Pietro, I'll have to check on that. Super chat, I'm not sure if that's turned on, the Ring Digital. If it's not, then I will fix that and we'll make sure it's turned on. So it might be a bumpy ride here, guys, the, the first show. Um, so I'm actually logged into the Ring Digital YouTube channel right now, but there's certain things logistically that uh, I'm just now you know, starting to look at. So Super Chat may not be turned on. That's something that I can fix going forward. Again, for those of you new to the show, what we like to do is, uh, other than taking calls and everything, a lot of people on the live YouTube chat, they like to drop super chat pledges uh, to get their question to the top of the list because we get a lot of heat in the chat. We get a lot of back and forth, and it's hard for me to keep up because it scrolls so quickly. So if you drop a super chat, you get right to the top, and you can get your question on the show. Uh, also, I talked about this uh, for people who have been following my show, but for those of you who are new, I just want to remind you that every episode of the show, a recap will be posted at ringtv.com, and we will, from there, on that recap, give you guys timestamps. Uh, we'll just recap what we talked about in the show, uh, quotes from our guests, if we have a guest on, and we'll also include some quotes from some of your calls. 
You know what I'm saying? So that's a cool way for you to kind of get your voice heard, not only here on the show, but also you can get yourself on ringtv.com. So if, uh, if you have a podcast out there, a boxing platform, or if you're just a diehard fan of the sport, it's a cool way to kind of get your name out there. If you call in and you make a great point, we have a good back and forth. Hey, one of your quotes might make it on my recap on ringtv.com. As always, I remind you guys, uh, the, the best thing you could do for me and for the show is just spread the word. And now that we're here on Ring, please share this. If you subscribe to the Ring Digital, uh, there's, I think, over 70,000 of you out there. Please spread the word. Tweet about the show. Uh, give us a, a like, a rating, a review, all that good stuff. That is what helps more than anything. This show has grown organically by word of mouth. It, like I said, started with me on my couch. Now we're on Ring. So it, it, I didn't pay for any subscribers. I didn't pay for any Twitter followers. I didn't pay for ads. None of that crap. We have done this from the ground up through word of mouth. So that's I, every single episode, I'll ask you guys for that. I don't charge a fee for this show, obviously. It's free. You're watching here on YouTube. You can feel free to donate through Super Chat or anything else. But my fee that I charge is a non-monetary fee. That fee is asking you guys just to spread the word about the neutral corner, TNC. Okay, so I'm going to get into some news and notes before our guest joins us. I think he'll be on in about 10 minutes. Again, uh, Charles Conwell is going to call into the show. But I wanted to start with some sad news, man. I mean, you guys have all heard this. Uh, last week, uh, undefeated prospect, 154-pound prospect, 17-0, and 0, just 24 years old. I think he was about to turn 25 soon here out of Texas, Travel Maison. A lot of people have been butchering his last name. It looks like Mazion or something like that. It's Maison. Travel Maison died in a multi-victim car crash just outside of Austin, Texas. And a friend to the show, Mark Livitz, who is a boxing writer, he lives in that area. This happened just a couple miles from where he lives, so he's probably going to call into the show a little later. And uh, you know, he's visited the scene and talked to some folks, done some some digging, and he can give us some inside info. But apparently, uh, Travell veered across the median, hit another car coming toward him on the other side of the road, head on, and um, sadly, tragically, he died on the scene. The person that he hit, the motorist that he hit in the other car, his name was Richard Slater, and he died later at the hospital. So an absolutely tragic situation. And, uh, man, it's just something about car crashes and fighters or just vehicle crashes. It made me think, of course, of Errol Spence last year. And what's crazy, you know, that wasn't even a year ago. Think about that, guys. That wasn't even a year ago. That was also in Texas. But somehow, magically... Errol Spence walked away from that with no problems. And then here we have, you know, a young man tragically losing his life. But this reminded me of situations like Diego Corrales. That was a motorcycle accident. I could think of so many fighters around the world, not just here in America, that have died this way. Absolutely tragic. Such a bright young kid. And, you know, unfortunately, I've seen a lot of rumors and innuendo on uh, on social media and some people trying to politicize this i've seen tweets saying that his promoter golden boy promotions didn't respond quick enough didn't tweet quick enough that's complete bs everybody that there was an outpouring of support universally from the entire sports world from the entire boxing world i should say and that was awesome to see outside of a few fringe idiots trying to politicize this thing, which, by the way, uh, based on what I've heard, Golden Boy Promotions is paying for this young man's funeral. 
Uh, his family won't be burdened with that cost. They're already dealing with enough, obviously. So I've seen people talking about that on social media and, and trying to insinuate that Golden Boy Promotions wasn't uh, doing the right thing and didn't care about this young man. Absolutely untrue. So I just wanted to set the record straight on that. But, man, I mean, not even 25 years old. Gone in a flash. And, and what this made me think of, guys, is the fact that every human life is precious. We are so fragile. So I'm not going to get on a soapbox here, but I mean, we're going to talk to Charles Conwell later uh, in the show. You guys remember him because of last year he was involved in ring tragedy with Patrick Day. So I, again, this, this stuff comes full circle, man. Life is so precious and we're all so fragile, man. Just live every day to the fullest. Call the people in your family and your life. Make sure that they know that you love them. Call your ma is what I'm saying, all right? Call your pops, call your ma, call your brother, call your sister. Tell them that you love them because, man, in an instant, it could be done. Uh, okay, enough of that negativity. I, I just, it, it's hard not to feel for, for him and his family. It just, uh, anyway. Usman Masvidal, UFC 251 pay-per-view, does over 1 million pay-per-view buys, apparently. And the, the number that's being thrown around is 1.3 million. That's probably slightly exaggerated, but... Well over a million pay-per-view buys. That's a big deal, obviously. During the COVID pandemic shutdown, tens of millions of Americans don't have a job right now. They've been laid off. Even more have jobs, but their pay has been cut. So there's a lot of financial struggle right now. The success of this show, to me, as, as a casual observer of MMA, uh, it tells me two things. Number one, Jorge Masvidal is a star. He's the one who sold this pay-per-view. Usman does not move the needle, as, good as, as great as he is. He's one of the best fighters in UFC right now. Masvidal is the guy who sold that pay-per-view. But also, if you put a good product out there, even maybe you know, just a solid product, it doesn't have to be outstanding, a solid product at a decent price. I think this pay-per-view is only $60, maybe $65, not $90, this ridiculous, you know, these prices that some people have been charging in, in recent fights. You put a decent product out there, uh, you load the card so it's not just one good fight. People are going to respond. People are hungry for sports right now. There is an un precedented opportunity right now for all of fight sports obviously but this is a boxing show so man in boxing there's huge opportunities right now huge opportunities my hope is that these upcoming fights in the fall between let's say uh, Lomachenko Lopez you're probably going to get the third fight between Wilder Fury there's going to be a couple other pay-per-view shows my hope is that the promoters involved with those shows put on a good co-feature Put on a decent undercard. Load it up. All right. There's a lot of fighters who have not fought yet this year that need to fight. So get them in there on the undercard. Now, I know there are championship-level fighters. There's a Terrence Crawford comes to mind. He recently said in an interview, I ain't taking a damn pay cut. Okay. So he ain't going to be on one of these undercards. But there are fighters out there, good quality fighters, names, top prospects, guys like that, that you can put on these undercards. And price the shit correctly. If you price these pay-per-views correctly and you put on a solid co-feature, I think these shows can do well, man, because baseball is about to come back, yes. But you don't have a crowd. You don't have an audience. We don't know what's going to happen with the NBA, right? Baseball is going to be a short season. 
right? So by, what, October, baseball's done. So the last couple months, two, three months of the year, if there's no, no basketball, we still don't know if the NBA has happened, and we still don't know what's up with the NFL. We don't know what's up with college football. College football is a big one in the United States. People are going to be starved for sports. It's going to get cold outside, October, November. It's cooling down. People can't go out as much. They're going to be stuck inside on a Saturday night wanting to watch sports. Pedro in the chat says the NHL is back. Okay, so the NHL is back. But I don't know about these other sports. All I'm saying is there's an unprecedented opportunity for boxing. We started off the year so great. That Wilder Fury rematch did so well. It transcended. It broke through. It broke barriers. A lot of people watched that fight, and it exceeded expectations. It didn't just meet them. Man, let's do that again, but let's load the damn card. Let's actually put on a co-feature that people give a shit about. That's all I'm saying. When I looked at this UFC pay-per-view, that's what I thought. There's an opportunity here because there's no other freaking sports. So people are starved for sports. Even people hurting for money that took a pay cut at work uh, or, or were laid off, they're still wanting their sports, right? Sports gambling is still alive and well. People still want to gamble. They still Look at what's going on in Vegas at the casinos. They, there's people at the MGM right now as I'm talking to you through this microphone. And they're gambling and wanting to do all that. So we, we have opportunities in this sport, man. The fighters have to cooperate. It's on the fighters, too. But the promoters got to get this shit right. And they got to load these cards, man. If you're going to do a pay-per-view, don't charge people $90 right now. Lower it. Lower it to $60, something like that, and put on a co-feature that people give a shit about. All right, guys. Let's uh, jump over to the phones. It looks like our special guest is on here. Let me make sure that uh, he can hear. Mr. Charles Conwell, how you doing? Can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, sir. I can hear you. Um, let's see. Uh, guys in the chat, if uh, if you can't hear Charles, let me know, and I'll check his levels. But I read you loud and clear, man. Thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, no problem. Well, let's, uh, let's get right into this, man. I just wanted to ask you about uh, your next fight. I know that you were scheduled to fight on a showbox card in April against a Kazakhstan fighter, uh, Madiar Ashkiev, is that probably going to be your next opponent? Uh, uh, yeah, we're looking for him to be the opponent, but um, we don't really exactly know who, how everything's going with this pandemic stuff, so I really can't confirm. Okay, I can't really confirm yet. Okay, so has there been any talk from your team uh, as far as any kind of dates or anything like that, or is it completely up in the air at this point? Uh, yeah, they said something. I should be finding out something real soon. They never they, they didn't give me an exact date, but they said they should definitely find out something soon. So I'm I'm just in the gym working until they uh let me know the exact date. But they definitely said something real soon. Okay, and if that fight can't happen with uh, Ashkev, I know you've mentioned Jason Rosario before, Patrick Teixeira. If you could play matchmaker, who would you want to fight next? I'd like to say either one of those guys. If I can't get one of those guys, I'd like to fight uh, any ex-world champion or ex-world champion like challenger. I heard someone say Austin Trout back there. <laughs> yeah, I can't believe it. Yeah, are you still there? 
I'm still here. Okay, people are saying your volume's a little low. I got you turned all the way up on my end. But, uh, guys, I, I, hear per- I hear it pretty well. But they're saying that you're kind of low on the chat. But, um, yeah, I heard somebody back there yelling, Austin Trout. Yeah. Yeah, that's the type of guy that when we fight, when we fight guys who got experience and who are like ex-world champions and ex-world title challenges, stuff like that, who can push me and give me those championship-like rounds. Well, do, I mean, do you think that you're ready for that kind of fight yet, Charles, or do you think that you need, you know, to maybe step up slowly but surely, or do you think you could step in right now and fight for a world title, like in the next six months or so? Uh, I definitely think I can uh, step in and fight in the world in the world title shot with the with the. Uh, with one of those guys like Rosario or um, Fisher, I definitely think I can be in that group and that mix. So, is there I'm, something? I, I can handle myself. Is there something in uh, their styles that you see that that you think you could pick yeah. apart that you could take advantage of? Yeah, definitely for sure. It's definitely something that style I have to see that I, that I can take advantage of or exploit. So, and I know they're new champions. They ain't really been. They ain't really. You know what I mean? They don't really have like a lot of. That, championship round experience so I definitely feel like I can go in there and capitalize on that too and I feel like we like basically on the I ain't gonna say on the same level but they're not that far ahead of me I just feel like they're vulnerable you know one thing I wanted to talk to you about you uh 2016 Olympian right you represented America in the 2016 games you won several junior and youth America championships your 2015 golden gloves champ but I feel like you don't get the same amount of love is other guys from that 2016 Olympic team or like from that amateur class, guys like Shakur Stevenson. Why do you think that is? I just feel like you don't get as much attention, even though you're highly accomplished as an amateur when you were coming out and going pro. What do you think there's a, a particular reason? Is it the part of the country you're from? What do you think it is? I just think it's uh, really was like lack of really like, a lot of television, a lot of television fighting on the on the, like on the promotion end. Like I don't feel like I was on TV as much as those guys and getting on good big undercards as much as those guys. That's that's one reason. I also think probably I really can't say as a part of the country I'm in, but maybe so. Yeah, I mean you're out of Toledo, Ohio, and it's not known as a you know Ohio is not known as a boxing hotbed, but there's a lot of great fighters over the history of boxing from that part of the country. You know what I'm saying? Like, you yeah. come from a, a part of the country where there's so many great fighters from there, and even some very good active fighters from that part of the country. So um, right. are you training out of Ohio right now, or do you go somewhere else to train? Uh, I'm training out of Ohio right now. Okay. I'm out of Ohio, uh, out of Toledo, Ohio. I'm, I, I actually live in Cleveland, Ohio, but I train out of Toledo, Ohio. I like to come here just to, you know, get my head and my mind right stay focused and not really, you know, get all the distractions from home. So that's why we like coming in. What's the situation like there with uh, with COVID and everything? Are the gyms closed? Is everything locked down or is everything open back up? Uh, for us, for us personally, we got a personal gym, so it's not, it, it doesn't really matter. Like uh, They own the building. My coaches, the building, okay. that's their gym. And we just have like private sessions. The gym is open right now for, uh, for us. Not we don't, we don't like too many new people, but it's still open. So there's no restrictions because you guys basically have the keys. You could go in there, do what you have to do, like privately, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And then you recently became a father, right? Um, I wanted to ask you, yeah. 
how has that changed you? I always like to ask fighters about that. Like, how has it changed you? Obviously, it changes you as a human being anytime you become a father. But how do you think it's changed you as a fighter, just your mentality and the way you see things? Uh, to be honest, it just makes me want to, uh, like I said, accomplish more. Uh, have so my daughter can have something to look back on, see like her father actually did great things and just made a name for himself in the sport. Just leave a legacy behind for my name and my family. That's what it really meant to me. Yeah, it's always an interesting question to ask fighters because I, do you feel like it's it's just changed your outlook on the sport and what you're doing? Do you take training more seriously? Uh, do you think about life after boxing more now? Uh, yeah, for sure. Like you said, it makes me, it makes me want to like leave some behind, so make me want to accomplish as much as I can, so I can leave some behind for my daughter, even if financially, just a legacy thing or anything, you know. That's going to um, help her in, in the long run. Just give her something to look up to her father for. I want to ask you about uh, Travell Maison, who lost his life last week in a car accident. Just uh, your thoughts about that? I mean, he's around the same age as you, uh, maybe just a couple years older. But you know, young guy, uh, life taken away like that. Um, did you did you hear about you know what happened with him? And just do you have any thoughts on that situation? Oh, yeah, I heard about it, it and it's definitely a tragedy, you know. Um, just going, just, just seeing stuff like that makes you want to stay as safe as possible and just, I mean, just stay out the way and just be more and just drive. You still there, Charles? Oh, okay, you broke up a little bit there. You still there? Yes. Okay. Yeah. You just, you stepped into a bad area or something because you just broke up a little bit on me. Oh, well, yeah. I said, uh, yeah, I heard about it. It was definitely a tragedy. It just made me want to buckle down and just be more aware of all situations and just, you know, stay focused. And just, man, life is short. Like you said, short, it's, it's a short lived life and, and it ended too soon. So it makes me want to really appreciate my life and just yeah. accomplish everything I want to accomplish while I'm here. Yeah, it's just it's just one of those reminders. Like, man, just it, life is so fragile. It just in an instant, it can all change, um, it, you know. And look, bringing that up, I have to talk about last year, last fall in Chicago at uh, Wintrust Arena, your fight with Patrick Day. Uh, I was actually there. I was ringside and saw everything play out. And I, you know, in, in situations like that, everyone, of course, is focused on the. Patrick Day, who lost his life, you know, that's where everyone's focus is and as it should be. But one thing that I think we don't think about is your end in that, the, the survivor and, and how you go on from that and what it must have been like for you. Um, and, and look, if this is off, you know, if, if we don't if you don't want to go there, Charles, we could just skip to the next thing and I'll shut up. Just tell me, OK, because I know it's it's tough. It's sensitive. But. If you could, I just want, if you could try to explain, you know, that moment and how it played out in the coming days and weeks. And now that it's almost a year later, you're, you're a father now, just how this whole thing has affected you and how you look upon it. Uh, it was really like, a, it was really a tough situation, like you said, not only for the, fa- for the day family, but for myself. 
you know, to experience something like that, nobody should ever really want to experience something like that. At least me, not me personally. Um, it was, like you said, it was a tragedy. It was hard to get through, but I got through it. I had to stay strong and, man, just stay positive, man. That's the only thing I can really do. Stay strong and stay positive and just keep a, 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 a solid, strong mind and a solid people around me who can keep me, you know, focused and strong. That's, a, that's really what I, I can really say about it. Yeah, I've had people, uh, I actually wrote a piece on Patrick Day in Ring Magazine um, after that fight, you know, and then I wrote a, a piece on uh, fighter safety a couple months later and mentioned that case and several other recent cases as well. But one thing people have asked me is, you know, well, uh, you know, how, how can fighters return to work basically after something like that? Because, you know, myself, I'm a former Marine. Um, I, I served with guys that went overseas and never came back home. And, you know, that feeling, understanding that, I never knew what survivor's guilt was. That's something I had to learn. You know, it's something I had to actually attend a little counseling about. Um, just how did you return to the office, basically? Because boxing is your job, right? You punch in and punch out at the gym. That is your job. How do you return to the office after something like that? I mean... Like you said, it's really hard, but like boxing is like really like therapeutic. It's real fun. It's, hmm. it's really you can get, I can get like a clear frame of mind. So it was like I really had to. It was like therapy for me. I really had to go back to boxing. It was like without boxing, it was like I was just in the house, just depressed, just laying around, just you know moping in my sadness. And, and when I went to go boxing or go work out, it made me feel better, gave me more energy, made me happy. So. It's my happy place. It's somewhere I, I feel comfortable at. So that's what, that's why I, I really couldn't really leave. That's that's a great point, man. I didn't even think about it like that. You you put that so perfectly. It's therapeutic. It's therapy. It's the place you go to to feel better. I, I can't tell you how many times, you know, if, if I was pissed off or sad about something, I just go beat the hell out of the bag, and I'm just some chump right. who writes about this shit. You're, you're the real deal. So I can only imagine – you going back to that place, that's how you get over it. That, you know what? You just gave me a perfect answer next time someone asked me that question. Thank you so much for that. Because uh, that makes total sense to me. That that's – to maybe a, a, a civilian, someone who doesn't get boxing, they might not understand that because to, in their mind, they're like, man, that's the place where the tragedy took place. But for you, right. that's where you go to feel better. That's where you go to forget about right. everything and just be. That's a great way to put it. All right. Well, you know what, Charles? Um, You know, a couple of you I just saw just got on the chat here just now. They were asking about your next fight. So there's nothing you could give us as far as uh, do you think it's going to be the Kazakh fighter? Do you think it's going to be Showbox? Do you have any idea or is it completely up in the air? Uh, To be honest, it's like really completely up in the air. Okay. We're waiting on the sponsors from all the different networks and whatnot right now. So we actually heard of, um, talking to all of them, all the different TV networks, Showtime, ESPN, The Zone. So it's really up in the air right now. Really just trying to figure out where my, what's best for my career and where should I take my um, my next fight. Yeah, and you're a, you are a network-free agent, right? Like you could fight on any network, or is there a limitation? Yes, I can do yeah, I can fight on any network, so that's that's like the real that's the real good part about it. I can fight on any network. That's field, awesome. You no, know, man, in twenty twenty, like that's like 
that's like never even heard of. And you're like one of the few guys that can actually fight anywhere, anytime. That is awesome. Uh, before I let you go, yeah. uh, let everyone know where they could follow you on Twitter, or Instagram, you know, all your social media. Uh, everyone can follow me at Charles Conwell on all social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, I, I try to stay updated as much as I can. Just try to keep God updated on my career. All right. That sounds great, man. We'll make sure to follow you. Thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, we'll have you back on once you got a fight schedule that we could talk about. Okay. No problem. Let's do it. All right, man. Have a good night. You too. All right, there he goes, ladies and gentlemen. Um, difficult subject matter. Difficult subject matter. And props to, to Charles for being willing to even oblige me and talk about that stuff. It's, it's, it's so tough it, for me. I mean, imagine, you can imagine how he feels, but like I, just the awkwardness of me br- trying to bring that up and ask him about it. it, it then I think, man, you know, I'm, stop being a pussy. Imagine how it feels for him to talk about it. So, uh, that was awesome that he's willing to even, you know, talk about that a little bit with us. But uh, I love the fact that he's a promotional free or not promotional network free agent. He could fight anywhere. That's cool because that's going to open doors for him. I, he just needs an opportunity, man. Again, I think a lot of people are sleeping on Charles Conwell. And it's a shame that most fight fans know him through that tragedy with Patrick Day. Because, again, if you really look at his amateur record, 2015 Golden Gloves, uh, he won several junior youth American championships, 2016 Olympian in Rio. And that was at 165. Okay, he's fighting at 54. He had to move up in weight uh, in that situation there. So uh, at 54, that's a loaded division. There's a lot of great fights that can be made. I think he fits right in the mix there in the next 12 to 18 months. So definitely keep an eye on him. Follow him on social, guys. Uh, and again, I loved his his you know use of the word therapy to get back in the ring because – I, I had people ask me when I wrote those pieces for ring last year, it was last fall. Uh, the, the piece on Patrick day, just giving my thoughts on, you know, seeing what, I, what took place there at Wintrust arena in Chicago. And then I did a piece on fighter safety because we had five fighter deaths last year. And I wanted to talk about that. And I must've interviewed a dozen different people for that piece. It was, it was what, probably the longest piece I've written. It was almost a freaking novel. And I got a lot of response from those pieces, particularly that fighter safety one. I had a bunch of people asking me, how do these dudes go back to the ring? How do they get back in there and do that after what they've been through, seeing the humanity of all that? And Charles Conwell put it perfectly. That's, that's the therapy place. I remember, you know, some of the best advice one of my old coaches gave me. I had broken up with a girl and I was walking around pouting and shit, you know, feeling sorry for myself. And I'm like, coach, what do I do? He goes, get your ass in the gym. Stop crying. Stop you know, sulking and get your ass in the gym. And that's what I did. And for like two months, I was in there, you know, just, just straight eating cans of tuna and lifting weights. And you'll be surprised how therapeutic that shit is because guess what? The, the, the chest starts popping. The guns start popping. You forget, and you know, you start getting some female attention, you forget all about that ex, right? So <laughs> it is amazing getting back into the gym, wherever it is for you, whatever, you know, whatever you're into. Uh, it's therapeutic. It's, it's the right thing to do. Anyway, all right. Let's, uh, oh, I got a couple of you guys here in the chat. Uh, okay, I'm glad you guys enjoyed the interview. I'm glad. Uh, Mark from Unrivaled Boxing Talk says, something that never gets asked 
But in situations like this, people speculate fighters start to pull their punches a bit more so as they cause less damage. Has Charles experienced this in sparring? Yeah, Mark, I thought about that. I just didn't know if it was the right place to ask. I, I did think about that uh, question. I have asked certain people that before that have been involved in these tragedies, and they're, they didn't want to talk to me on the record. But I think that the first few sessions back, they probably do pull the punches. At, at least that's what I've been told by pro fighters who have been there before off the record. But what I've also been told is after about two or three sessions – they're going right back at it 100%. That's what I've been told. I know like Vinny Paz, you know, he had that terrible uh, neck injury, right? And uh, came back from the brink. I mean, I, he says it's the greatest sports recovery in, in, in history. And he might have a point. I mean, pound for pound, what that guy came back from, it's pretty damn amazing. But he wanted to go hard in that first sparring session, and guys just didn't want to. But he was confident, and it, it took a while, but he eventually got to where it was 100% sparring. So I think eventually you get back to that muscle memory, and you go back to what got you there. You know what I'm saying? Okay, a couple more news items, guys, and then we'll get into this review. By the way, phones are open. So if any of you guys want to get on the phones, call in, all right? Uh, Matchroom USA, they have a return coming just uh, outside downtown. I think it's in – yeah, it's outside. I have my notes on here, outside downtown Tulsa. I should have wrote clearer notes. I mean, downtown Tulsa, Oklahoma, outside. It's literally taking place outdoors. August 15th, buzzkill. Julio Cesar Martinez was supposed to be defending his flyweight title on that card. He has been taken off the card due to a non-COVID-19 infection. From what I'm hearing, I can't confirm this at the time, but you guys let me know if there's been any breaking news uh, that I haven't heard yet. But I heard it's a sinus infection. And sinus infections, if you're prone to those, they can actually be pretty damn bad. They can be pretty damn bad. They can, they can incapacitate you, man. I've had some sinus infections that whoop my ass. I was out of commission for a week or two. So I can imagine, you know, you definitely, I mean, if you're a couple weeks out from that fight, yeah, you don't want to mess with a sinus infection if it's really bad. That could really throw off your equilibrium, and that could mess you up in sparring. And he'd be right in, like, the heart of camp right now. You know what I'm saying? So – they're just going to push that back probably a few weeks or a month or something, but we're still going to get that fight. So, uh, oh, okay. Unrivaled. Mark says in the chat, a throat infection, according to Michael Benson. Well, who did Michael Benson quote? Because he doesn't break news. Did he give a source in his tweet? Uh, well, you guys let me know in the chat. Also, uh, okay, let's talk about Canelo. I mentioned this in the title of this episode. Who will Canelo fight next? Man, it's funny. Those of you who follow me on Twitter, you know I like to joke around and troll a little bit. So I think it was last week. There was an article, I think it was from Boxing Scene, that's named like Alcatraz and it named a couple different you know locations possible for Canelo. And I said, oh, and I retweeted it. I said, the moon is being explored. And possibly, I can't remember the other places I named, Kathmandu or something like that. I just There's a million different locations being thrown around and a million different opponents John Ryder, Jason Quigley, Toriano Johnson. I've even heard Chris Eubanks' name thrown out there. A million names, okay? And there's a bunch of people calling Canelo out. But when they seem to make an offer, nobody seems to want to do it. So, look, Billy Joe Saunders said no. There's some of you out there somehow, some way, still defending Billy Joe Saunders. Look, I get it. Canelo and his team are the A-side against everybody right now. In and around, what, 
160 to 175. They are the financial brand. They're the A-side. So they're pulling some diva tactics, and they're pulling some pilot tricks. They're doing everything Floyd Mayweather used to do, Oscar De La Hoya used to do, all of them. Every big uh, Sugar Ray Leonard did it. Every big A-side fighter has pulled these kinds of stunts. All right, so I'm not saying that Canelo's team isn't pulling some shenanigans. However, if you're Billy Joe Saunders claiming that, oh, I don't have enough time to train, well, we know that's bullshit because he knew two months in advance and two months should be enough time to get through camp if you kept your ass in the gym over the summer or at least kept your weight down, which we know he didn't. Okay, that's what that whole thing told me. So it's, it's either, you know, oh, it's not enough time for me. Oh, it's not enough money. And I get it. They, they do kind of play with the timelines and play with the money to get things in their favor. Look what they did to Sergey Kovalev last year. You know what I'm saying? Like, I understand. I'm not saying that ain't happening. But if you're Billy Joe Saunders, if, if you're Callum Smith, whoever, you're not going to get more money fighting anybody else on the planet than Canelo Alvarez. If you've stayed in the gym, you've stayed in shape, you've kept your weight down, you've stayed sharp, then there's no reason to not take the damn fight. I think, that, look, the, the zone wants to launch in the U.K. and all these other markets. That's why they're exploring so many U.K. guys as possibilities for Canelo Alvarez. That's part of it. But if he goes in there, and no disrespect to these guys, but if he goes in there against John Ryder, and I know a lot of you feel Ryder beat Callum Smith. I don't give a shit. If they rematched this year, Callum Smith is going to beat John Ryder. That was a bad night for Callum Smith. That was the best night of John Ryder's career. All right? If those two re- – just admit it. Callum Smith's a better fighter. He has a better record, a better fighter, poses a bigger challenge for Canelo. So if Canelo goes in there against Ryder, Quigley, any of these other guys, even someone like Eubank, it's, I just don't think it's going to work. He's got to get in there with Callum Smith. I, I think – if you put a gun to my head and ask me who I'm picking, I think he's going to end up fighting Callum Smith in September. But they need to announce this shit. We're about two months out. They need to make an announcement pretty damn soon. Timmy Turner in the chat says John Ryder wants it. I get it. If I was John Ryder, I'd want it too. Even if Canelo is getting $35 million and I'm only getting $3 million, which is probably what the purses would be. I mean, that was like when Floyd Mayweather fought Robert Guerrero. And, you know what I'm saying? That, that, that was the kind of purse split that was happening. That's what you're going to get here. But if you're John Ryder, you're still going to get more money there than anybody else. However, if you're Canelo, and more importantly, I'd say if you're DAZN, you've had a shit 2020, right? You're a subscription-based service that only shows sports, your boxing content, you don't have a whole lot going on right now, to put it nicely. So you got to have a decent fight with Canelo, at least a challenge. Some, something that is seen as a challenge of a fight to come back. They're going to come back before that. They're going to come back in August. I, I mentioned the Matchroom USA card. They got some other fights coming up. They actually have a n- nice little lineup coming up. They really, really do. But if they want that big punch, you know, a big one in September, a big one in October, a big one in November, you know, then they got to get the big name. They got to start with Canelo versus Smith. And that's not a huge fight here in the United States, but it's a big fight over in the U.K. And Canelo, the Mexican-American fans, the Mexican fans, it doesn't matter who he fights. They're going to show up. So 
It's about getting the UK fans interested. And I think Callum Smith does that. All right. Review. Review, review, review. Last week, top ranks summer series. Tuesday, July 14th on ESPN. I call this the COVID card because we had Michaela Mayer on there. We were supposed to have Jamel Herring. Those were two fighters who tested positive, then tested negative. And then Herring tested positive again, and then he tested negative again. However, his fight with Okendo was scrapped from the card. So Michaela Mayer is in the main event, and she scores a unanimous decision in 10 rounds over Helen Joseph who hung tough and everything and got real low and was awkward, but pretty much did nothing but eat punches all night. After about two rounds of this fight, it was pretty clear it was going the distance and it was going to be a slap fest. And I'm not trying to put Michaela Bear down in any way. She had an awkward opponent that was getting low and kind of lunging in that took some of the, the length and snap and leverage off of Michaela's shots. But Michaela could have made better adjustments, I felt, backed up a little bit more, got more length on her shots, and maybe uh, changed up the variety of the punches uh, to maybe put a little more steam on them, but she just doesn't punch that hard. So this was a a 10-round decision for her where she just slapped the shit out of Helen Joseph for, what, 20 minutes because these were two-minute rounds. So uh, she remains undefeated at 130 pounds. Uh, Look, there's a lot to market there. Good-looking, very good on camera, which is more important than anything. Good on camera, good on, good on the mic. But what fighters are in and around that weight class for her to fight that are going to move the needle? And does she have the power to move up in weight? And, you know, people have mentioned someone like Clarissa Shields. There's way too big of a size difference there. But if she had, like, really game-changing power, you know, maybe that could change that dynamic between the two of them. But... Yeah, Giuseppe LaRocca in the chat says Katie Taylor's at 135. That could be a possibility. Um, we got to see what Katie does. She's got uh, Delphine Pierce soon. And then, you know, she's talked about, of course, they had that agreement to fight Serrano, maybe even Brekus down the line, something like that. We'll have to see. But, yeah, look, a fight between uh, Michaela Mayer and Katie Taylor, that would move the needle. But she'd have to probably go over to the U.K. for that one. Also on this card, Clay Collard, TKO2 win, his fourth W of the year. He's kind of gained like a cult following in boxing circles. So you have to be diehard of the diehard. You know, you have to be like, as I call him, a boxing degenerate. And hey, I'm one of them. I'm not saying that like it's a bad thing. You have to be a boxing degenerate to know who Clay Collard is. But boxing degenerates love this dude. And how could you not? Uh, This is the first time he was a favorite in that fight last Tuesday will probably be back in the ring in August when top rank comes back with their second wave of their summer series, which I'll talk about a little bit here in a minute. All right. I think we got a phone call. Let's jump over to the phones and I'll get back to that. Uh, the review here in a second. I think this is my man, Mark Livitz, who I talked to you guys about earlier in the show. Uh, Mark, is that you? It's me, buddy. How are you? What's up, Mark? I'm doing good, man. How are you? I'm doing great um, over here in uh, hot as hell, Austin, yeah. Texas. But uh, trying to stay inside, stay busy. How how you guys been? I mean, it's been hotter than hell out here, man. It's been like over 90 degrees for like a week. And I've been working out in the yard, busting my ass. Uh, I'm trying to adjust to this heat, but I don't know. And then Texas is even worse than here, man. I don't know how you people do it. Props to you for being able to deal with that shit. Well, that's why it kind of, kind of where 
the area of Austin that I live in, it doesn't cost a whole lot to live here because we have almost eight and a half months of summer. We'll spend Thanksgiving in our shorts sometimes. That's crazy, so, man. Yeah, it's just, it's the way it is. It stays daylight till almost nine o'clock. It's nice. That part's cool. Yeah, it's been the same way here, too. Like, uh, Tiff and I went out Saturday night, got a couple drinks, and, uh, you know, I'm looking outside. I'm thinking, what is it, 6, 7 o'clock? It was like 9.30. I'm like, holy shit, <laughs> it was still light outside. But I was a little intoxicated, so, you know. Anyway, um, <laughs> you know how that goes. Yeah. Um, so you live how, – how far do you live from where Travel Maison was, uh, was in that accident? It's just a couple miles, right? Five, five and a half miles. Okay. So basically that was in your backyard. And I know you went over there. I met, You sent me a few pictures when you're out there this weekend. Uh, were you able to find anyone? Because didn't you say there was like a gas station nearby or something? Yes. Um, okay. What, what you notice, um, first off, the area that this, this happened in is just outside the uh, Leander Cedar Park area, which is northwest Austin, it's basically one of the fastest growing areas in the country. But as soon as you start heading down um, FM 1431, when you get out of Cedar Park, you go through an area called Jonestown. And what you immediately notice is that that area of the highway, there's hills and it's, it starts uh, lots of curves, lots of ups and downs, and you can't see very well in front of you when you're going up the hill. And after maybe three miles, the median goes away. Mm. So you don't have the large grass median in the middle. You just have the double yellow line. And so I went to exactly where it is said to have occurred, the 18,000 block of FM 1431. And there is an intersection there, a traffic light near the Chevron station. And I went inside and I talked to a few of the guys. And it was kind of out of character for me to do investigative journalism of that sort, but it was still, it was still neat. Um, now, of course, because of the traffic, I couldn't walk out into the street and get close to it. Um, that's not the way I want to die. So, <laughs> was, is uh, it, that was that so, area um, was, so every report that I've read, sorry to interrupt, but I just want to make sure I get this question in, um, said that he veered across the median that section where it happened, was there actually a median or was it just the double yellow line like you mentioned? It's, it's, it's just the double yellow line. Okay. And so um, if it happened at or near the, the traffic light, which is right there, um, it would have been easy for him to lose control of a car, even if he wasn't going the speed limit. There's one of the reasons I do not like driving around that way because even though that area is growing, there's more and more subdivisions like acreage home sites. Um, the road, in terms of safety and how I feel on it, um, it hasn't improved. I- I'm not a fan of it. And so if he lost control, um, it, he would have just veered right over the double yellow line um, into oncoming traffic. And um, by all accounts, at least from what I read and probably what you read as well, he probably just never knew what happened. Yeah, you know, I've had a lot of people ask me, you know, was there alcohol involved, drugs involved, speeding? And from every report that I've read, including uh, I think it was the police department that tweeted out a few things, um, I don't think any of that was involved. It was, I think, at 9 o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night, like a normal time. Um, it's not like it was 3 in the morning, he was leaving a club. It, this was not like the Errol Spence crash. And that that's kind of the, the, the great irony of it, you know. 
Errol Spence was blackout drunk, and he was flying down the road speeding, and he flew over a real median and flipped his car and all that. And for Travell, by by all indications, he was just out driving. It just lost control of the car, um, and and that's it. And this tragedy occurred. Not just him, but one other person lost their lives or their life, but you were there and I'm, I'm so glad you're calling in Mark. Uh, thank you so much because um, you've already cleared one thing up. I mean, again, every report I read says he veers veered across the median. There was no median. He simply just drifted over on the other side of the road. Correct. I mean, that could happen to anybody at any time. Right. If there had been a median, like there was, uh, let, let's say he lost control of the car, give or take two minutes before that, he and the man from Lago Vista, which is the the next city over, if you continue past Jonestown. So I'm assuming the man that the other man that that passed away, a 61 year old uh, man uh, who was coming from Lago Vista, was probably headed headed towards Cedar Park Austin area. Um, you know, so he would have just drifted across the LVO line. And like you alluded to a little while ago, um, I, I actually wrote an article last year about Errol Spence. And the irony is that he was lucky that he was blackout drunk when he mm-hmm. got into that super horsepower Ferrari. It's like when you get knocked out in a tornado first and you get thrown from your house, you limp. So you end up living. Right. Um, so it's um, so it's crazy. But it's just it's just so sad. And and um, I live in the same area as uh, Travell, but I only met him as as far as talking to him one time. And I've seen him fight live several times austin houston dallas san antonio but um oddly enough the only time i actually spoke to him um in 2013 i believe it was yeah because a week later was when uh floyd came back i think to fight robert guerrero and so i was planning to go to vegas the following week and um i'm not the type if you remember man i already had a, a twitter or text relationship set up with you before i came up and said hi to you that time um, right. I don't just walk up to people and start talking to them. But um, uh, Travell was making his professional debut, and I talked to him maybe for 30 seconds because I got there super early. I think he was the first fight on the card, and he was just a sweetheart. I don't think he was even 18. I was going to say, he had to be um, like 17 at that point, yeah. Yeah, it was a it was a, a fight card at the Frank Owen Irwin Center at UT. Okay. And he was uh, he was just a sweet kid, and it's it's just such a tragedy, and it, that he's gone. And of course, for everybody involved, I mean, I think that guy was of course going to gun for a world title this year, if possible. Yeah, he had um, he had a couple years there where there was there was some injuries, I think, infection that kind of kept him out of the ring for a while. But when he came back from that, he was kind of rededicated and. Uh, seemed refocused and seemed improved. It was crazy. He came back from that and looked better, like he was on a mission. And um, I, I agree with you. I, he had he had potential. He had tremendous potential. And uh, it, it's just so sad. I, I remember, was it last year? I think it was. I think um, th- there was a shooting down there or something in, in Texas. And when, when Travell was walking to the ring, he wanted he asked the producers of the zone if he could walk out to the ring with no music, and and everyone yeah. kind of had a moment of silence during his ring walk to honor the people who lost their lives in, in that shooting, and like that just shows you what kind of guy he was, you know. Um, he just yeah. it, it just it's a sad sad thing, brother. A sad thing. Yes, 
I was actually at that card. Uh, that was August of last year in Grand Prairie, a suburb of That's Dallas. right. That's right. And um, the the announcer came on and indicated that that everyone just turn on the flashlights on their cell phones. Um, and I had I had never seen anything like that to make the ring walk um, about everybody and not just about yourself. To I make it about that, but. to make it about everyone other than himself. You know what I'm right. saying? And I he, mean, how many fighters his, would do that? <laughs> No, I mean, and you could hear his footsteps as he walked up the little uh, wooden staircase up into the ring. He took a knee and smacked it. Let's go! And I mean, that was just that was just timeless, fascinating, and so felt. That's awesome, man. I'm jealous that you were there for that. I remember that was that Virgil Ortiz card, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, yeah, I remember awesome. watching that um, at that moment. Awesome stuff, yeah, man. So. Yeah, I think thank you so much for uh, for having me. It, this sounds, uh, I mean, it's it's a really really cool show. Oh, thanks, man. Well, I'm glad that you know you're checking it out, and now you can check it out every week, every Monday. We usually go around at like five o'clock uh, Eastern. We went a little early today because Charles is uh, training. Actually, he's probably starting to train right now. This is the time he trains, so we talked to him like pretty much on his way to the gym uh, to to work. But um, you know, before I let you go, Mark, let everyone know where they can follow you on Twitter, man. For everyone, guys, uh, everyone, you know, fans of the show, um, Mark is a good dude and uh, loves the sport, knows the sport well. And uh, I think Tiff and I hung out with you a little bit when we were down there for the Errol Spence, uh, Mikey Garcia card, correct? Yes. That one? Yes, yeah. That was great. And you I got mean, us that Texas popcorn. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. For 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 those of you who who do live in Texas and maybe parts of Oklahoma, you know of that giant monstrosity gas station called Bucky's. And uh, Bucky Nuggets are uh, basically like corn pops type snacks, and they're addictive. I think the two of you kind of pasted away that bag, right? I, it was ninety five percent me. <laughs> it was me. Yeah. yeah. It, so uh, they are pretty damn good. I gotta say. Um, yes. Yeah, so anyway, guys, at the moment, um, I'm writing for Ringside Report. Um, I've written over the last decade plus. I've kind of been all over the place. Um, during the during the shutdown, I've kind of just been catching up with fighters to see how they've been handling life. A series that I've called the Quarantine Chronicles. That's at RingsideReport.com, and you can follow me on Twitter. Uh, my handle, my wife came up with this many years ago. It's Fighter Writer, which is F I G H T A. W R I T A. Fight uh, Would appreciate the, the shout. Yes, sir. Thanks, All right. Mike. Thank you so much, Mark. Have a good day or a good evening, I guess. Yeah. All right. All right, brother. Best, best to you and yours. Take care, man. All right. Same to you, Mark. All right. There he goes. Mark Livitz, everybody. Uh, so, for those of you just getting on to the show here, I see uh, Harrison Property in the chat just got on late. Yeah, we went a little earlier than usual, Harrison Property. Um, Mark lives down there uh, literally five miles, five miles from where uh, Travel Maison uh, tragically lost his life uh, in a car accident last week. So he, you know, we've been talking over the weekend and he wanted to go over the, to the area where, where the crash happened and do some investigating, some digging. And he sent me some pictures and we were able to clear up a couple of things. Uh, several of the reports I've seen are reporting that he veered over a median and all this happened. That did not happen. It's just a double yellow line and you simply just drifted over. Uh, so 
There were no, um, I think, uh, no tire uh, skid marks or anything like that to suggest that he was speeding, going too fast, nothing like that. So anyway, um, that was Mark Livitz, everybody. Give him a follow on Twitter. I'm going to get back here to the review. Uh, last Thursday, July 16th, there was a minor upset. Naoya Inoue's cousin, Koki Inoue, TKO7 lost to Daishi Nagata in Japan. It's a minor upset there. So um, you would think Koki Inoue obviously was the promotional A-side on that event, but uh, loses seventh-round TKO. Inside the bubble on Thursday, uh, this, this was a, there was another main event there that got scrapped, Miguel Mariaga and Mark Jan Yap out of the Philippines, uh, who came in as the opponent, let's be honest. He, he lost three of his last four fights. This was a gimme for the Colombian. But he came in nine pounds overweight, so that fight was scrapped. And Felix Verdejo out of Puerto Rico bumped up to the main event, and he made short work of Will Madero, who was making a quantum leap in opposition. He's a fighter out of upstate New York. Most of his fights were in Canada. And so, um, yeah, so TKO won win for Verdejo. And American heavyweight prospect Jared Anderson scored a TKO one win over Hector Perez, who had just fought in the bubble in June and won that fight, came back in July, lost to Anderson. So uh, ratings information for those of you who care about this sort of thing. Michaela Mayer's fight against Helen Joseph peaked at 380,000 viewers. And uh, ESPN tried to make it out like, oh, this is historic. In top rank, tried to make it out. This is historic. We have a female, you know, uh, in the main event, and this is all-female main event, blah, blah, blah. That wasn't the original plan, guys. Stop trying to spin shit. Just tell the truth. It, the thing is, like, with the Summer Series stuff, my biggest beef with it, and if you guys want me to do, like, a full review of the first wave of the Summer Series, I could do a video on my channel, Montero Unboxing, and talk about that. My biggest beef is there's still a little too much of this promotional push like you're talking to casual fans. It's so obvious by now, if you look at the ratings, it's only diehards watching. So you could just tell the truth. If you're the, you know, the promotional crew with Top Rank, the commentary crew with ESPN, just have fun with the shit. Just wing it and just tell the truth. The one guy who I think did that a little bit was Timothy Bradley. He's just been having fun. Whether you like his commentary or not, I'm not here to debate that. But, man, like, he's been eating sandwiches on the show and shit. Just doesn't give a shit right there in the microphone, eating a sandwich, having fun. Because he knows who's watching. It's not the casual fan that tunes in and watches boxing once a year. They're not watching those cards. It's boxing degenerates like you and I. That's who's watching. So just, just talk to us. Just tell the truth. You don't have to spin shit. We all knew this wasn't a historic fight between Michaela Mayer and Helen Joseph. You didn't have to try to spin it that way. Anyway, 380,000 uh, peak viewers. And then for uh, Berdejo and Madeira, that peaked at 444,000. Now, I found that interesting because I do believe that is the second highest rated show of the, super, the summer series. I, I, correct me if I'm wrong. It, it's, it's maybe the third, maybe the second highest rated, which is really interesting. Why is that, Right. The first one was Shakur Stevenson. That was the highest rate. I think that peaked at like over 600,000. And then it went, most of them were under 400, right around 400. This is almost at 450. And I think it's because Felix Berdejo, Puerto Rican fighter, I think some of the Puerto Rican fans tuned in, man. I, I think, and then there are diehard fight fans who actually know his name. They know Berdejo when he came up. He was a, t- a 
good-looking prospect, right? Uh, Giuseppe LaRocca in the chat is asking, what do I think about Berdejo? He's still a, a good quality fighter. I, I think that he read his own press clippings too much. He, he had it a little too easy early on, and he kind of got humbled a little bit. Hopefully he's made improvements. I think the best thing for him to do would be to leave Puerto Rico and relocate to the continental USA full-time and, and train and work out there somewhere. Like Houston would be awesome for him. I think uh, maybe Florida, but that's, that's too close to Puerto Rico. Houston, Vegas, L.A., something like that. If he wants to go to New York and train, cool. That would be beneficial for him. But um, anyway, I, I like Verdejo. He's not what we thought he was, but he still one day could win a title. I, I really think he could. You know what I'm saying? In the, in the right situation, right matchmaking, he could do that. But obviously this fight proved not a damn thing. All right, Saturday, July 18th, uh, ESPN Plus picked up a card from Germany. Former heavyweight kickboxer Ajit Kabayel scored a unanimous decision win over a Greek fighter, I think based in Germany now, uh, Avgenios Lazaridis. I probably butchered that name. All right, preview for this week, tomorrow, Tuesday, July 21st on ESPN. This is the best card of the first wave of Top Ranks Summer Series on ESPN. This is the best card. If you were going to watch any of these cards, this is the one to watch. In the main event, Oscar Valdez, 27-0, going up against Jason Velez. Do not pay too much attention to Jason Velez's record. He has six losses. It doesn't matter. He's fought top guys. He's a battle-tested veteran. He has fought everybody. And here's the big thing. For uh, Valdez, well, number one, this is Mexico versus Puerto Rico. Those fights always deliver. But for Valdez, this is his second fight at 130. Valdez has been there since 2016. So he is more settled in that weight. He's fought the bigger guys, the bigger punchers. It's Valdez who's moving up. And I think that creates an interesting competitive dynamic here. Because on the surface, Valdez is favored. But kind of heavily favored if you look at the odds of this fight. And I understand that. Velez has been in wars. He has lost six times. He's never been stopped, but he's taken a lot of punishment in those losses. Even in some of his wins, he's taken a lot of punishment. However, the size difference and the experience level I think matters here. And I think we're going to have a good, competitive, fun main event. Also on this card, Isaac Dogbay versus Chris Avalos in a featherweight fight. That's an eight-rounder. That's a good fight, guys. That's a good fight. I'm telling you right now, don't miss that shit. Also, heavyweight prospect out of Italia, Guido Bianello, 7-0. He's going to be on that card. And super middleweight prospect, Oscar Berlenga, 13-0. Fights out of New York, 23 years old. He'll be on that card as well. That is the best card, top to bottom, of this whole summer series so far. That's going to be the last one for like a month. And then I think Top Rank is going to bring back the second wave of the summer series. By then, it's almost going to be the fall series uh, in late August, I think mid-late August. And they have a few cards set up that look really, really good. The, the, what they're talk- None of them are uh, 100% official yet, but the names being discussed and everything else look good. So the second wave is going to be better than the first. I promise you that. Okay, um, Friday. So we have no Thursday night boxing, right? Those cards are done for a while. Friday, July 24th, there is a card on UFC Fight Pass from Sonora, Mexico. So if you have UFC Fight Pass, you can check that out. But on the zone, 
you're going to get Virgil Ortiz Jr., 15-0, going up against Samuel Vargas. Another guy, don't look too much at the record. He's fought everybody. It's okay to lose, all right? Let's learn a lesson from the UFC fans. Over a million of them paid to watch Jorge Masvidal, a guy with 14 losses, go up in a fight where everybody knew who was going to win, but they supported their guy. It didn't matter that he, he came in with 13 losses because the dude will fight anybody. Well, here you go. Samuel Vargas is a good, solid professional prize fighter, and he's going to, I think, give a good fight to Virgil Ortiz Jr. Virgil Ortiz Jr., to me, you know, was my top prospect in boxing. To me, he's graduated past that phase now. I, I see him as a true contender. I really, really do. And I think that he's going to put on a statement-making performance in this fight. This is going to be at the Fantasy Springs Casino in California on zone, as I mentioned. This was originally scheduled for March 28th in Los Angeles. And uh, I like that Golden Boy kept this fight. When COVID blew everything up, they kept this fight because I think it's a solid fight for Ortiz. This will be his 16th professional fight. This Saturday, July 25th in London, a Frank Warren Queensberry card on BT Sport. Joe Joyce going up against German Michael Valish. 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 I, I have no idea how to say Michael Valish, I think is how you say this name. Anyway, this guy, this German has losses to uh, KO losses to Christian Hammer, F.A. Jagba, and Tony Oka. So guess what? Joe Joyce is going to get a knockout win Saturday in London. And Sunday, July 26th in Corona, California, Thompson Boxing, one of the best club promoters in the sport. And when I say club promoter, I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that as a compliment. Probably the best, most successful club promoter in the sport, doing a small, cheap pay-per-view. It's only a few dollars. Undefeated, or I'm sorry, 13-1 lightweight prospect Michael Dutchover will be in the main event of that one. So check it out. All right, let's go back to the phones. I think uh, I think this is the other Mark. This is Mark from Unrivaled Boxing Talk here on the phones. Mark always has great calls. I know he's got some stuff on his mind he wants to talk about. Mark, what's up? Hey, how's it going? Actually, I don't want to talk about that, believe it or not. Oh, you don't want to talk about your uh, your guy that's a pedophile? No, All right. no, 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 no. I don't. Want, I, don't I don't. I really don't. All right. That's, we'll leave that off, off this up. We won't go there then. That, that's past me. That's past me. <laughs> um, how are you doing, Mike? How, I'm doing good, doing? man. Uh, hey, I've I've got a question. Um, why is it that everybody is going crazy that Virgil Ortiz is fighting Sammy Vargas and stuff? Sammy Vargas is a terrible fighter, and Virgil should be fighting against top three guys already. Because I think, well, for some people, it could be politically motivated. But I think for a lot of boxing fans, they're just never happy, dude. I mean, Virgil Ortiz, again, I do consider him a baby contender now. Like, do I think he's ready to fight for a title tomorrow? No. But he's past the prospect phase. I think he's further along than guys like Jerron Ennis and um, Devin Haney. I think he's further along than them. And, yes, Sammy Vargas isn't a a top guy, but he's certainly a solid – proven, battle-tested, professional prize fighter. All things considered, I think this is a solid matchup for him, man. Well, Sammy gave Amir Khan a nightmare fight before Khan fought against Crawford. Yeah. He gave him him all types of hell. He dropped him. 
he hurt him bad. That's right. He, he did him. drop him. Yeah. So, like, Sammy, like, make what you want to Bamir's chin, but he, he's proven. He's a solid mid-tier, like, gatekeeper. Exactly. That's what he is. And Vir- Virgil, he fought against uh, a notable contender at 140, and then Tony Orozco, who went the distance in a competitive, albeit one-sided competitive. You know the way when you're competitive in every round, but you lose every round? Yes. Kind of against Jose Ramirez. Uh, I'm excited to see Virgil back. I think I think the kid's the goods. I think he's the goods. I think he's a very promising fighter. But I wanted to I wanted to ask you. I don't know if you got into this. I don't know if you've seen the WBO rankings uh, update. Um, apparently, Michael Conlon has been enlisted in the one two two rankings, not the one two six. Um, and um, Navarrete has moved up to one two six, and he's. Open those rankings too. So it looks like uh, Michael Conlon might be in line to fight for the one-two-two title. And I was wondering what your thoughts were on that, the Super Bantamweight title. Can Michael Conlon make one twenty-two? That I would think be he Michael. can. I'm gonna. When's the last time he fought at that weight? Anywhere near Not that in weight? His professional career. Yeah, his entire pro career has been at twenty-six. Now, I know yeah. in the Olympics... Well, if you look at... Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Sorry, Mark. If you look at the WBO rankings, you'll see that he's been enlisted into the 122 rankings, and I find that either the WBO made a mistake or that's very, very, very specifically timed with Navarrete moving up. Well, it wouldn't surprise me because the WBO is we're Bob's organization. That's my nickname for the WBO. Um, but... I'm just trying to when when is so he fought at 52 kilograms in the what 2012 games is 56 kilograms in 2016. Mm-hmm. But 122. Let's see. Well, 52 kilos is uh, 114. Um, how much did you say? 50, 50 what? 56. 56. No, I'm sorry. 50, yeah, he fought yeah, at. That's- 2016, 56. Yeah, so that's 123. Yeah, it's a 20. So. That's 123 and a half. I don't know, man. I know the WBO because they had a couple funny looking ratings today. Because someone tweeted about, I think there was one higher up, like around 54 or something that looked weird. So they might have just messed up a couple of them. But um, man, I haven't heard anything from Michael Conlon wanting to go down and wait at all. But if he thinks he could do it and he can oh, well. legitimately make 122, he'll be better at 22 than he is at 26 because he'll have a little more pop. Well, maybe. But hasn't one of the big problems with Michael Conlon been people are saying he's draining himself to make the weight? That, that's what I'm saying, he man. drained on the scales. So if he goes down to 122 and he can make the weight, he's going to be even more drained looking. He's going to look like bones. Yeah, you know what? I'm just looking here. Uh, he was 122 and three quarters for his pro debut at the theater at MSG. I was actually there that night. That was fun. The Conor McGregor was there. That was a great crowd. So he was 122 and some change, but he hasn't been anywhere near that since. I don't know, man. Mm. I don't know. Especially coming off of quarantine? Shit. Mm. 
I think that's a I think that's very interesting though that all of a sudden like I, I understand Bob and everything. I just think it's very interesting like the way they're doing this. Like Navarrete moves up, Conlon moves down, and uh, Shakur moves up. You know, titles gone vacant, left and right, where it's getting COVID, etc. Boxing, um, baby. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's that's boxing. I, I want. I wanted to ask you one more thing, if you don't mind. Um, I've, I've been giving this a thought, and I know people will never like to hear this. Do you think promoters have been um, purposely pulling off main event fight cards lately, um, giving random-ass excuses like this fighter has corona or this fighter has an injury or whatever? Because every good main event that we have had, like, for example, Herring for a world title, all of a sudden, COVID twice. Um, you take a look at Martinez now, uh, sinus or throat infection, whatever it is. Um, yeah, so he's um, <laughs> he's he's no longer fighting. Uh, Alito Alvarez, um, <laughs> and uh, right. who was it, Joe Smith? Alito Alvarez and Joe Smith. Yeah. All of a sudden, there was an injury. Uh, well, who else was there? Oh yeah, uh, Baranchik and Zapata. Oh, Baranchik had a rib injury. I mean, it seems to be every top tier fight. They're kind of promising us. Isn't happening, but they're still giving us the card, but trying to get us excited into the actual fight. So we look up the fighters and we look up who they are and we have a little gander at who they are so that they can get some viewer base in so that they can save money. I was wondering if you think that's a, an actual possibility as much as people would hate to think so. That is not the worst conspiracy theory I've ever heard. Okay. That, um, there, there's some legs to that one, you know, because if you look at it, there has been a lot of injuries, infections, all this kind of stuff, you know, killing main events. The one thing I will say, I, I think personally, I, this, I have no scientific evidence to back this up, but I think that a lot of the injuries are guys who sat in their ass for a few months during quarantine. It didn't do anything. And then they get back in the gym and go balls out 100%. Oh, I broke something. Ooh, I pulled something. Well, that's what happens when you're not active, when you're sitting on your ass for a few months. Or, po- or possibly they ballooned up on way too much. Ex- and then they, exactly. They were getting closer to the fight week. They couldn't actually make weight, but they knew they wouldn't be able to make weight yeah. once they get closer to fight week, so they had to pull the fight off. Well, I, I think Billy Joe Saunders, again, I have no scientific evidence to back this up. It's just my personal gut feel that he did, he knew he was going to need a fat camp before training camp for Canelo, and that's why he turned down that fight, which would have been the biggest fight, biggest payday of his career. But, you know, you mentioned – so, like, Jamel Herring, that is out of top rank's hands. That's on the commission, and the commission – had a, a rule where, you know, if he's positive, they made that ruling. Um, for for Martinez, I don't know how Oklahoma's commission works. I'm not sure. But everything that I've read and I've gathered, that decision to pull out, that was on Martinez's side. Now, is the infection bullshit? Are there weight issues, et cetera, et cetera? Maybe. You know, maybe. I, I don't know. So the, it's just been an unfortunate it's been like a, just a mess, like a storm of all these different fights falling apart for different reasons. And sometimes it's on the fighter. Sometimes maybe it could be on the promoter saying, you know what, let's pull the plug on this shit. I just, when I think of promoters, for the most part, they will almost always want to go forward with the show because they're, they're investing money to promote the show, put it together, get guys in, in camp, 
uh, get guys, you know, around, uh, you know, traveling and all that lodging. There's so much logistics put into that, that it just doesn't make sense, especially for cards at this level where you're only paying these guys 50 grand or whatever, that you'd want to scrap these fights. Now, if it's a big event fight where there's millions of dollars on the line, yeah, I could see where you might want to push that back a little bit. But I think the promoters have been pretty honest saying, look, we need fans. We need to be able to sell tickets to do these big fights. And that's why they've you know, pumped the brakes in some of the big fights. I think for the most part, man, it's just been a lot of shitty luck. Just shitty luck. Okay. Well, I'm devastated because that was going to be our first world title fight back. Yeah. Yeah, with uh, Martinez. Herring Herring was, and now Martinez was, and then Herring, well, Herring was, and then Herring was, and then Martinez. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Herring was supposed to happen a month ago. But the Martinez fight was a better fight. I was really excited for that one. You know, I really wanted to see that. I thought that was – it's still a decent card. But with that main event, it was a really solid card, you know. And uh, now that's just – Well, I always thought Martinez – I always thought Martinez would win that fight against the Royal. Don't get me wrong, the Royal can fight. But, like, I think, yeah, Martinez is a little bit above him, to be honest. Yes. Um, I mean, of course. He's he's slightly chinny. He's slightly chinny, a Royal. He's been down a few times. I look at Arroyo the way I look at – maybe he's not quite at this level, but I I look at him like a Sammy Vargas, uh, you know, somebody kind of on that level, or um, Jason Velez. Arroyo's above Sammy. Arroyo's above Sammy. Yeah, well, in terms of his amateur accomplishments and and just his – yeah, you're right. Actually, you're right. So that's kind of the way I look at it, and that's why I was like, this is a good fight, man, considering, like, people want the absolute two top guys – in a division of fight right now, it's like, dude, that's not happening. And people keep saying, well, look at what UFC did. Well, that wasn't the two top guys. You can't tell me that Jorge Masvidal is on, uh, I can't remember the guy's first name, but the Usman, not to get into a big UFC talk, but they're not on the same level. That was a mismatch. Don't give me the shit that they were the two best fighters in the division at the time. So you just, well, we're going to have to wait for those fights. But uh, Giuseppe in the <laughs> chat says Maloney versus Franco was a title fight. Yes, that was a, a WBA special. That was uh, for what, the WBA that's, regular? That's not a title fight. That, that's not a title fight. That's yeah, title that, fight. that's like kind of a title fight, kind of not a title fight. Look, it's not recognizing unification, so it's not recognized by the, IB, the IBHOF. So we, don't recognize the WBA, recogn- we don't recognize the WBA regular at ring. We don't recognize it. Okay, so ring don't recognize it. Right, the International Boxing Hall of Fame don't recognize it, and none of your sanctioning bodies recognize it. Hell, the WBA don't even recognize it. <laughs> the only time, the only time I will recognize the WBA regular is in a situation like Gennady Golovkin was in with Felix Stern, where it was so clear that Golovkin was so much better than him, and Stern was ducking him. The German boxing authorities were allowing it to happen, and the WBA itself was allowing it to happen. In that situation, I recognize Golovkin as, as the guy. But that's a, that's a unique situation. You know what I'm saying? Well, I recognize Canelo as the WBA champion. Who's the other WBA champ at 160? Callum Smith at 168. Remember Canelo picked up that 160? Oh, shit, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When he fought... Uh... 
Uh, Rocky Fielding. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but come on, man. So That's not, him, <laughs> you, you're trolling no, me now. I know. Man. Look, you're trolling me. No, no, no. Hear, hear me out. Hear me out. I don't know that Callum Smith has a better win than than him. He, they both have the Rocky Fielding win. I don't know if Callum Smith's 168 win over George Groves is that good because George Groves was coming off of over a year-long layoff with a shoulder injury and was getting tagged up. And he was a shot fighter past it, just like the Gale was when he fought Eubank. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. But so I, I still – Smith went through the tournament. I give him that credit. So I rate Smith – I mean, we have him as the champ at ring, and it's not necessarily because we see him as the top guy. It's because we sanctioned uh, the, the the tournament finale for the ring title. That's why he's the guy right now. But I know a lot of people thought he lost to Ryder. I just – if Canelo fights Smith – that's a decent fight for, you know, considering the situation for September. If they can make that work on the zone, I like it. It does need a nice co-feature, though. Okay. All right. Thanks, Mike. Take care. All right. You too, Mark. Appreciate it, man. Have a good night. There he goes, everybody. Mark from Unrivaled Boxing Talk. All right. So I think we've had a pretty good show today. I want to go ahead and uh, get out of here. I'll play the outro music. Yeah, guys. So I think this is overall a pretty good one for our first show on Ring Digital. Remember, I'll probably probably be posted tomorrow on ringtv.com. Recap of the show with a link to the YouTube video with some timestamps and some quotes for you guys. Uh, Thank you so much for supporting the show as always. Remember, like, share, subscribe. Get the word out there. Thank you so much. We'll do it again next Monday. I'll see you at the fights.